Okay, we're ready to begin. Parsha's Bamidbar. Bamidbar, alright. This week's Parsha is, uh, always comes out before Shavuot. So the Gemara says in uh, Tractive Media, page 31b, the Gemara says like this, Rabbi Shimon Alazah, Rabbi Shimon Alazah said, Ezra tikkalei soshi yokarim kolosh v'teros kanim. Ezra set up that they should read read uh, the uh, curses that appear in Parshas Vayikra, in Parshas Bukhukosai, Kodim Ateris, right before Shavuos. Vishab Mishnah Torah, Kodim Rosh Hashanah. And Mishnah Torah, because of Rosh Hashanah, because of the New Year, right? It would be read the Parshas Kisavo, which is the Tokacha, which is the curses that appear in in uh, in Mishnah Torah, in Sefer Dvarim, always come out before Rosh Hashanah. So the Gemara says the reason for that is is so that the year should be over with its Kralos. The reason was because the Kralos should be over for the year. And the Gemara points out that Shavuos also is Rosh Hashanah Lilanus. It is the new year for the trees, for the, uh, for, uh, for the fruits, uh, Rosh Hashanah Rashi says that. It's Rosh Hashanah and therefore the year should be over. The year should be over. So, what? Get rid of the curse right away. So, Tosos, Tosos here points out, Tosos point, points out, he says that it's, um, um, Tosos says another reason. He says that the reason why they set up Bamidra before Shavuot is in order that the Kloros, in order that the close, in order that the curses should um, that come before our terrace, that come before Shavuot should be over. Tosus points out that point, point out. And therefore, Tosus like this. The kach nearly it appears to me at times. The reason why we divide uh, this talking about something else, two parshas. We want to think, we want to read a parsha that's not talking about curses at all. It should be a buffer zone, says Tosos. It should be a buffer zone. We don't uh, about close at all before uh, before the judgment day. So in order that the close should not be close to Rosh Hashanah, because we don't want that the close and the Chukosai should be right next to Shvuos because it's the new year, so therefore we, therefore we read Bamidbar. We always make sure that Bukhukosa does not come out to be for Shavuot. There's always the buffer of Bamidbar. That's what Tosa says. So says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein in his Dorash Moshe, he says, I want to give another reason for it. The reason why we read Bamidbar, is, is the reason why we read Bamidbar before Shavuot. So he says, because the, in Bamidbar, we find the count of the Jewish people. He says counting has a dual purpose. Number one is counting. And number two is, it says in Parshas Kisisa, it says like this, when the Torah says that at the beginning of Parshas Kisisa, when the Torah says that you count the Jewish people, it says, Kisisa is made so, when you will count the Jewish people. So the word Kisisa comes from the word saw, which means to raise. So it means when you count the Jewish people, you will raise them. Because, says Rav Moshe, each person will see that they matter. Each person will see that there's something, that they make a difference. Because the same way that the person that's greater than them gets counted as one, so too they get counted as one also. And that raises them up. That shows them that their individual gives them confidence. So Kisisa's Roshman Esau, when you will count the Jewish people, you will raise them up in their confidence. So the reason why we read the book of Bamidbar before Shavuos is to give the message for each person that they can be successful 
in the study and acceptance of the Torah because each person counts they are as important as everybody else that's what Moshe says and that's why Parshas Bamidbar comes out to be before Shavuos okay that's what he says Lamdenu what? it's too noisy you want to come closer? I'm not loud enough I try to be loud okay you know what I'm saying? So Ramosha says, In Cain, Ramosha says, In Cain, Gamhu Yerichol Lovol Lemajayu Gadol. This person also can come to a great level. Rachein Kodim Shuvos. Therefore, before Shuvos Tzarech Lekroya Parshas Bamid, which is Parshas Apikudim. Therefore, you have to read Parshas Bamid, which is the Parsha of counting. Shinema, which was said to us in the series of watching the raising, in this way we can receive the Torah and to learn it. Okay, I hate to raise this, but women weren't counted, right? Why? Women weren't counted. Women weren't counted, but the message is that each person is important. So why were the women not counted? I don't know. I don't know. That's not our topic for tonight. I know, but that's But also they're not obligated to learn Torah, so this is talking about this focus on Torah. It's not. It's, it's not a. It's not. It's not the. It's not the issue. The issue is, is that the message with this formulation, we want to give the message that each person in the level that they're at is important. That's all. And each person has the potential to be great. That's what Rabbi says. So since this parshas Bamidbar has to do with the message of Shavuos. Therefore, I want to talk about this evening about the topic of Nasser Nishma, about the fact that the Jewish people said in Parshas Mishpatim that we will do and we will and we will hear. We will we will accept the Torah by keeping it with action, and we will hear. So the way that we're going to get through that is through a question that I found in the book of Ayarvna from Rabbi Yitzchok Zobishtein. So here he has a question that he asks. He says that the Achorim asked the following question. The question is, is there was a woman who got a gift from her husband, a, uh, a set of earrings, diamond earrings. So the, um, the diamond earrings were worth $1,000. Very cautious. Very cautious. So she showed it to her friend. She was bragging to her friend about it. And she gave, she gave her friend the earrings. Her friend said, oh, there's such nice earrings. I'm making a sale. Can I borrow the earrings? Can I use them? She said, yeah, you can, you, can use the, you can use my earrings. So she gave the earrings. She borrowed the earrings, and then she lost one earring. So now what happened was, is that the two earrings together were a $1,000. Okay? Now that these, it's one earring, it's only worth 300 It's only worth $300, because since it's not paired, it's no longer 500 lost its value. The two earrings together have a value of $1,000. They're worth 500 each when they're together. When they're separate, it's only $300. So not only did she lose that one, but the other one became less value. So now the question became, as Shiloh was asked, is that what should she pay? Should she pay 500 which was half of what the earrings were worth? Should she pay 700 no, presumably they could buy another earring for 500 What? They could buy another earring for 500 can't they? I don't know. Should she pay 700 because now, Lamaisa, she had $1,000, now she has 300 What should she pay? That was the question. <coughs> well, you can't always replace these things. You can't replace this. It's a, it's a, it's a unique piece. 
Well, it does because it's a diamond in the end, and it could be used. It could be recycled and refashioned, uh, salvaged. So it's three, three hundred dollars. Fine. So that's the question. Should you pay the full amount? We have already paid. You can't not pay. How much did she pay? That's the question. Here. So he says, he says that he found this question in a sefer called Divrei Gaonim. I don't have a copy of the sefer. I don't know. I don't know where it is, and I don't know who wrote it. But the Divrei Gaonim asks a similar question, and he says, he says that it's a machlekes. He says it's a dispute. Okay, he says that the responsa, uh, the responsa of the Zeri Yaakov in Simon Samach Zayin. Okay, so repeat the question. So the, the response in Simon Samach Zayin says that um, the question is that uh, diamond earrings were borrowed and then they were lost. Only one. So now they're together worth a thousand dollars. And now one is worth three hundred. So how much does the one who lost it have to pay? Do they have to pay seven hundred or three hundred or five hundred? That's the question. So the Shazuchu is very Yaakov says that they should pay five hundred. He says you have to pay half. He doesn't explain why. He says you have to pay five hundred. What? Each diamond is five hundred dollars. So each diamond is four hundred fifty, and you have the mounting and the setting fifty dollars to get us five hundred. You have thousand dollars. Now you lost one. Yeah. So the diamond is four hundred fifty dollars. No, the diamond now became three. The case is is that the the, the two it was a thousand. You lost one. The one that's left is worth. 'Cause together with the other ones worth five hundred each. Now without that one it's because it doesn't have a pair, it's it's, it's worth three hundred. So the question is, does she have to pay five hundred or does she have to pay seven hundred? Five hundred for the other and the other two that it became down two hundred that it did that it was lowered in price. That's the question. Together with the setting, the whole business. What? So that's the question. You have to pay seven hundred five hundred. So the Zera Yaakov says whatever that is. The Zeri Yaakov says that you have to pay five hundred. The Zeri Yaakov says pay five hundred. Because that's how much it was worth. Says the Zeri Yaakov. Each one was worth five hundred. She lost one. So let her pay for the one she lost. I the fact that the one went down, okay, I don't know. He doesn't explain that. I don't have the Zeri Yaakov. But the, that she lost the five hundred, pay five hundred for the one she lost. Okay? So that's it. However, the Goyim, Rabbi Elio Yisrael, in his Shalos Vichuvas, in the response of Korolia, who disagrees, and he says that you have to pay the worth of the value of the depreciation of the other one also. So now she has to pay 500 for the one that was lost, and in addition, another 200 for the one that became devalued, which is 700. So it's a machlokas between the, uh, the Zeri Yaakov and the Kolo Yo. And the one that quotes this, the Divrei Gaonim, 
agrees with the Kolelio. He concurs that you have to pay 700. And he says, the reason like this is like this. He says like this. This lady is a borrower. So halakhically, somebody who borrows something to use it, or not to use it, to watch it, is called a shomer. General statement, which is numerous different types of shomerim in Parashat Zeshvatim. It's called a keeper. They're the keeper of the object in halacha. A shomer is responsible for any damage that's caused. Okay, so any damage that's caused to the object that they're shomer, any damage that they, that's caused to the object that they're keeping, that they're watching, that show, the shomer has to pay for that object. So, first of all, the shomer lost, she lost 500, so she has to pay 500. But also now, the shomer caused damage to the other one. Because the other one is, was worth 500 together <laughs> as a pair with the other earring. And now, it's by itself, it's damaged. It's damaged. Now, it's, instead of being worth 500, it's worth 300. Says the Divri Gaonim, what's the difference? Whether the Shomer would take that diamond that's now was worth 500 and chops it up to pieces and it would be worth 300, or if he depreciated the value by losing the, its pair, its double, by 200. Either way, he's responsible for the damage. Granted, says the Divri Gaonim, that the loss of the other earring is direct damage because she went and she lost it, flushed it down the toilet, whatever she did with it. She lost it directly. She has to pay. And granted that the other earring is still here now. The other earring is still here now, and that other earring is devalued, and it's an indirect cause of damage because... She didn't directly damage the other earring. What she did was that she lost the first earring. And that indirectly, as a consequence, depreciated the value of the second earring. So even though the damage is indirect, says the Divrigonim, it doesn't matter. The Shomer is responsible for direct and indirect damage of the object that they're Shomer, the object that they're watching. And therefore, says the Divrigonim, uh, he concurs with the Kol Eliyahu, that you have to pay 700, not like the Zera, the, what was it, the Zera Yaakov, that says you have to pay 500. But to all intents and purposes, that, that other earring is valueless now for the original owner. 300. To go to open market itself, it's 300. So I'm surprised that they're even discussing it. They should just simply say, to go to the open market and sell it, or whatever she loses, that's what this person should pay. The question was, she's obligated. The question, what is she obligated? She says, I want to pay. She says, I want to pay 500. Or I want to pay 300. She says, I want to pay how much one is worth? I lost one. So why do I have to pay 700? So the other one says, no, I want you to pay 700 because I can sell this 300. But I'm missing 700 together. I could buy a new pair. Well, it could have been new. Sentimental value. I mean, sentimental value. But, but that's, that's something she can do about. What is she going to, how does she pay for that? 
You can't put a price tag on a sentimental value. Okay, maybe. She has to bring the diamond to what? That's what we said before you came. Oh, you match the stone, yeah. But the question is, there is expense. It costs money. So what? The bottom line is, if the group, the, if the two don't agree, so when we're a best, then what are we possible? Well, I, I that's why I told you that I have a certificate. Because, because it's going to cost me to, to put the diamond and, and uh, the setback and the... Uh, yeah? So it's going to be $50, so $500 and $50. So it's $550. Fine, okay, so I have the $50. What can I tell you? You want to have the $50? I have $50. What chilek is that going to make? We're only talking about the earring itself. You want to act the labor, so we have the uh, labor. I'm surprised that the you understand what I mean? numbers, instead of saying the principle... What? I'm surprised that they're arguing about numbers rather than establishing some kind of a principle. We're going to start. We do. We are going to establish a principle. Well, the principle is she shouldn't give... She needs to buy a whole new set of earrings. Right, well, but what I mean is, the, the practical answer to me is whatever the woman has to do to be made whole is what the woman should... what the other woman should pay. Not necessarily. The question is... Because the question is how much. How do I get back my the question? <laughs> That's not the question. The question is, what is the shomer responsible for? We're talking. The question in Torah is, what is the financial responsibility? What is the liability? What am I responsible for? The answer is not that she is responsible to make the person. The answer is, is that she is a shomer, and the shomer is responsible for everything. That that is the That's what he says. She's responsible for seven hundred. She doesn't pay the other 300. It's not her problem. She still has the 300, the first one. So why should she have to pay that? How do they know how much this woman is going to get on the open market? They know. They know. This is the premise of the case, that that's what she's getting. They called them before they went to court. Okay, so the question is like this. We need a little bit of introduction to discuss. The next question, we need a little bit of introduction to discuss. The Mishnah says in Tractate Gittin, on page 52b, this is like this. If somebody, let's say, goes and takes somebody's truma, truma is only a lot of coin is a lot to eat. And the truma has to be eaten with tahara. The truma has to be eaten with spiritual purity. Okay? So, so if a person does that, and they go and they take a rat, let's say, or they take something that's tummy, something that's pure, and they touch the truma with it, now it becomes also for the coin to eat because it becomes tummy. Does the person have to pay for that? Or other cases, you know, they take uh, they take Avodazara uh, wine and mix it with regular wine. So it looks like wine. Do they have to pay? So the Mishnah says, Bishaykik, if you did it by accident, but you don't have to pay. The Mazer, if you did it on purpose, then they have to pay. So the Gemara on page 53a says, what is the dispute? What, what is the Mishnah talking about? What, are, what kind of damages are we talking about? So Chizkia says that what we're talking about is Hezek She'en Onikar. We're talking about damage which is She'en Onikar that's not recognizable. If you look at this item that was damaged, it looks exactly the same after it was damaged than before it was damaged. It looks like, let's say Truma, let's say it's apples. He gave the coin apples. So it was apples before they became Tomates apples now. Correct? Except that before it was tar apples, now it's Tomate apples. Right? So says the Gemara, that's called Hezek Shein and Nicker. 
That's damage that's not recognizable. There's damage that's not detectable. You can't detect such damage. So Chizkiah says that the to- according to Torah law, whether you do it by accident or you do it on purpose, a person is liable for damages that are not recognizable. What's the reason? One second, Ezra. Let me just go. What's the reason for this is? Right? Is because damage, the Torah only holds liable people for recognizable damage, detectable damage. Now, detectable damage is not something which can be, a person can be liable for in a court of law. So, if that's true, if that's true, so why does the Mishnah say that? I'm sorry, that, that is that you're, you are obligated for it. He says you are obligated for damages that are not, that are not recognizable. So, sorry. The Mishnah, the Mishnah says, the Mishnah says, if you do it by accident, you're absolved, you're potter. If you do it on purpose, you're chayef. So it says, chizkiah, for damage that's not recognizable, you're chayef, you're obligated. The Torah holds the person liable for that damage. So why is he not liable when he does it by accident? Says the Gemara, because if, if by accident we tell him that he's not liable, then he's never going to tell the client. He's going to say what, doesn't, what he doesn't know is not going to hurt him. I won't tell him. Because, right, if we say that he's obligated. Because once, if, I, if I'm obligated, I'm not going to tell him. If I let him know, then I'll be obligated. So it says the, says, the Gemara, says the Gemara that therefore by accident we absolve him. We tell him that he's not obligated. So this way at least he'll tell the coin and the coin won't eat the chuma. And uh, he won't eat the chuma with, uh, uh, with, which is prohibited. That's the opinion of Chizkia. So Bjorkman says no. Damage is not recognizable. A person is not obligated at all. The Torah only holds liable, detectable damage. Damage is not detectable, not obligated. So why does the Mishnah say that if you do it on purpose, you're obligated? Says Rabbi Yochanan, you know, because Rabbi Yochanan says the reason for that is is because if you not, if you were the rabbis made a knas, they made a penalty because each person they're going to say, oh, I'm not obligated. They're going to take a rat and every kind that they get into a fight with, they're going to make it chuma tame. They're going to go around making chuma tame. So because and they're going to say, I'm not chayav, I'm not obligated. But this is going to make him obligated so they don't think twice. He has to that he's not allowed to do it. What happened to a Kohen who, who inadvertently ate something? He gets, uh, I don't know, he gets punished. If he didn't know? If still, he gets punished if he didn't know. Depends on if he didn't know how careful he was, whether he was an honest or yes. So, the Rambam Paskins is then, the Rambam Paskins like of Yochanan. And he says, this is, this is in, in, in uh, the laws of Chayvul Mazik, chapter 7, number 1, 2, and 3. And in 3 it says, this thing, this matter is a knas. It is a, uh, a penalty that the rabbis in, uh, <coughs> made. In order that people shouldn't go running around and making everybody chumatame. But in the front end, he'd say, oh, I'm absolved, it's not my problem. Do it as a, as a joke. Why would people run around doing such terrible things? I don't know. That's a good point. That's a good question. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. So that's what he says. Okay? Yeah. Now, so, so, now, that, that's our brief introduction. There's, there's a concept in the, in the, in the Torah law that's called Hezekshane and Ikar. Damage that's not detectable. And we paskin, the damage not detectable, one is not liable for. Okay? One is not liable for that damage, except that if a person does it on purpose, they're obligated according to the rabbis, so that they shouldn't go, uh, uh, all over the place and, and, and damage everybody else. That's the, that's the introduction. Now having this introduction, we have another principle. It's called Harish al Khalafanecha. 
There are some cases in which a person can say, Here's the diamond. You want it? Take it. This is yours. This is what you gave me. I'm giving it back to you. Okay? That applies to Hezek, Shane, and Iker. For example, it says in the Shulchan Aruch, on page, uh, in, 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 in Choshe Mishpat, Simen Shin Samach Gimel, 363, number one, it says, for example, let's say a person steals chametz from somebody, and then he holds it through Pesach, and then he gives it back to the other person, does he have to pay for the chametz? Because chametz, Allah Pesach, chametz that Pesach has uh, passed, is, uh, is also to eat. So he stole the chametz, and as a result of his stealing, now he damaged his chametz. He stole his donuts. And he kept the donuts until after Pesach. Now the donuts are not kosher. So, so does he have to pay? Or for example, let's say he stole his money. And the money became, he stole uh, a $2 bill. And a $2 bill became, uh, the United States government said, it's no longer usable. After three months. They said, uh, $2 bill, we are, uh, what are we doing with it? We're withdrawing we're the $2 bill. It's no longer valid. So now he gives him back his $2 bills. He's allowed to do that. Still the same $2 bill. So the Shulchan Aruch says, he can just give it back to him and not pay. Why? Because he could say, Here's the $2 bill. Here's the donuts. I took the donuts. Here are the donuts. You take them back. By Hezek Shein or Nikar, by damage that's not recognizable, you can give the actual object back. And say, Here it is. You can have it. That's not really the same Right, Hezekhanika means no change in the object. Undetectable damage. But undetectable is not the same as no change. Huh? Undetectable change is not the same as no change. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's right. It looks the same, but you can have damage that the eye can't see. We're talking about detectable damage. The object itself didn't change, but the damage is detectable not detectable. So you can detect the damage if you have a dent in the car. But if you have a donut, it's the same donut. But well, what if there's a dent underneath the car? So then you don't have to pay for it? I don't know, no. You can see the dent underneath the car. Depends on how you evaluate that type of damage. But the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, the Shulchan Aruch says that, um, the Shulchan Aruch says that you have to, that, that you, you, you can say the words, how you should so asks the Baharevna, or uh, actually he quotes the, another Sefer, which we'll soon see, he asks, why can't the lady say about the earrings, here is, why does she have to pay 700 Because she has to pay the extra $200 for the, for the undetectable damage of the earring, because it became devalued, because it's no longer a pair. She could say, I took two earrings from you, one is missing, here's 500 for the one, and the other one is for you. Here it is. So you want to tell me it's devalued in price? I took this earring, here's the earring. It has a chain of nicker. It's not recognizable damage. Yeah, that's the question. So, um... So, don't you have to give a... Uh, like
No, wait. The co- I don't. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's like a no. Nobody can eat it. Nobody can eat it. It's not edible. Because the czar is not letting truma. Somebody's not eating a coin, is not letting truma. Yeah, he can't, he can't sell it. It's, it's damaged. What? It's true in the stomach. You damaged it. Yeah. So now the Benish Chai, which I couldn't find inside, but he quotes the Benish Chai, Rabbi Rabbeinu Yosef Chayim, Zuchus Yogan Aleinu, in his Jewish Shabbos Kala, says an interesting thought based upon this discussion. He says like this. He says that the Gemara in uh, Gemara in Tractate Shabbos on page 88a says that Rabbi Simoy Darshant. Rabbi Simoy said to Joshua that at the time that the Jewish people said Nasa Vinishma, 600,000 angels came down and gave each one of the Jewish people a crown. Two crowns. One crown was for Nasa, and the other crown was for Nishma. And once they came, and, and then after that, <coughs> once they sinned with the Egel, once they sinned with the Chet Egel, so now 1.2 million angels came down and took away angels, uh, destructive angels, and took away their crowns. Then it says that Moshe Rabbeinu got the crowns back, and then in the future we'll have the crowns. That's what the Gemara says. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu's face shined. Toso says, because from the crowns that he took that the Jewish people lost. Okay? So the Ben Ishchai asks the following question. He says, one crown is for Nishma, and the other crown is for Nasa. So when they sinned with the golden calf, which one, does, which one did they sin with? The Nasa or the Nishma? They sinned with the Nasa, because they didn't act properly. So how many crowns should have the angels taken away? Only the Nasa crown. They should have left the Nishma crown. Yeah, that's the that's the Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim's question. So why is it that the angels took away both crowns? But once you're doing the wrong thing, you haven't heard. You're showing that you haven't heard it. All right, that's good. okay. Anyway, if you really heard, you wouldn't have done the wrong thing. So he he says he says like this. This is what he says. He says like Bela. Okay. And it says there, he says in the name of Baal. It says there in the name of Baal. It says the Ben That based upon the opinion of the Kol Eliyahu and the Divrei Gaonim that hold that if you lose the earring, how much do you have to pay? <coughs> you have to pay 700. Why? Because the Shomer is liable for the earring that he lost. And he's also liable for the earring that's still here that he damaged as a result of the other earring being lost. Right? So that means that 2 plus 2, 1 plus 1 does not equal 2. That's what the Divrei Gaonim and the Kol of Yahweh are saying. It's not that when you take away 1, you have 1 left. It's that when you take away one, you have less than one left. And that's why you have to pay more than one when you take away one. Because when you take away the pair, <coughs> you took away the sum. Therefore, says the Koryo, 
if there is a problem with the Nase, there's also a problem with the Nishma. And therefore, the angels took away the Nase and the Nishma crowds. Both of them. That's the shot. Yerabezo. That's what he says. So therefore, right, this halachi shaylah shed light on the psychology of the Jewish people <coughs> at the time <coughs> of the receiving of the Torah. Okay. So, um, okay. So why is it that the Nasa gets damaged? I'm sorry, why is it that the Nishma gets damaged if the, if the Nasa is gone? Why is that the case? Because it's a set. Because it's a set. True, because it's a set. So what, what's the mechanics of the set? So the, um, the Gemara in Yavamis, on page Kuf Tesam and Bey says, that if somebody says, I only have Torah, then even Torah they don't have. Why? Says the Gemara. Because it says, Vlimadetem, and you shall learn them. You shall learn the mitzvahs. And you should do the mitzvahs. The, the limu, the learning, has to come to the action. It says, So therefore, if it's just that doesn't come to the v'asisem, if it's learning that doesn't come to action, then the learning is also, he doesn't need the Torah, the, 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 the Torah either. So therefore, if they can't keep the laws, then they're not listening either, because the listening is not bringing to the keeping, as Bela said. That's what the Gemara says. Yeah? What? All right. So, um, yeah. So, so that's what he says. Okay. Two is I don't remember which one that is. Um. Okay. Fine. Next. So, just as, as an addendum to this, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says in his letters, the, um, the uh, Or Yisrael, uh, letter number 31, <coughs> he talks about the study of Torah, whether the study of Torah is a chok, whether it's a statute, which means it's a mitzvah that has no reason, or it's a mishpat. Or it's a it's a law that does have a reason. That's what we also want to discuss. So he says, Rabbi Sosalanta says that it's both a chok and a mishpat. He says the study, the mitzvah of the study of the Torah is a mishpat. It's a law that makes sense. Why? Because in because the, you have to keep the laws. How do you keep the laws if you don't know them? Right? How do you keep the laws if you don't know them? You have to study about them. Once you study about them, then you know them. So the fact that you have to study something presupposes the fact that you have to learn it. So from that perspective, the study of Torah is a mishpat. It's a, it's, it's a law that's understandable. But he says it's also a chok. And this is the point that we discussed before. Is that... <coughs> is that it says in the Gemara says in Tractate Sanaj on page I think 71 the Gemara says Ben Soromara the, uh, the rebellious son 
Lahaya Velocidlios never happened. That story never happened. So the Gemara says if the story never happened, so what do I what did the Torah write it for? What do I care? So the Gemara says because El Jewish Bikibuskar. The reason why the Torah wrote it for is that you should learn it and you should receive reward for learning it. Okay? Says what so what do you mean? If it's not gonna bring to action then what am I learning it for? The answer must be that here the Torah is telling us that the study of, of, of learning, uh, the study of Torah doesn't necessarily have to bring you to action either. It can just be for the sake of the study of Torah. From that perspective, it's a chok. From that perspective, it's a statue. And because it's a statue from that perspective, therefore it says, Jewish Mekibah's Chai, learn Ben Torah more, and you'll receive the word because you're just learning Torah for Torah's sake, and not in order that it should bring you to action. And he says, which one is a higher level? Which one is a higher level of, of study? One that brings you to action or one that doesn't bring you to action? He says, by the way, even the, the study of learning that doesn't bring you to action is supposed to be learned in a way that if there would be, that you should have to do it, that you would be able to do it. Of course, you have to study it that way. So, but which one is greater? He says, the one that doesn't bring you to action because that you're doing it because Hashem said. You're learning it because it's a chok, because it's a statute. With this, he explains the Gemara in... Um, in tractate in Dharam, on page uh, 81a, the Gemara says, why do the students, uh, w- uh, why did Yerushalayim, why, why is it destroyed? So the Gemara says, because they didn't say brachos, they didn't say blessings on the Torah. So the Gemara says, so the, um, the, the Ran says, why didn't they say blessings on the Torah? Because it wasn't important to them. So because it wasn't important to them, that's why they didn't say blessings on the Torah. Says the Ran, says, says Rabbi Sosalant, that doesn't make sense. Just because something is not a mitzvah is not important doesn't mean we don't say brachos on it. There are plenty of mitzvahs that, if I answer Rabbi Sosalant, right, there are plenty of mitzvahs that we do that are not important to us, we still say a brach on it. So it must be a different reason. So he says like this. He says, the reason, if you, it depends on how you learn the mitzvah, how you learn Torah. If you learn Torah from the perspective of the fact that it's a mishpat in order to do, then the mitzvah of learning is not complete until you've actually done the deed. Let's say you learn about lulav. So when is the mitzvah complete? When you shook the lulav. Before you shook the lulav, you haven't finished the mitzvah. If you learned the, the Torah for the purpose of learning Torah, so then when is the mitzvah complete? When you finish learning, because there's nothing else to do, because you're not learning it in order to do. Right? So therefore, they held like this. When should you, should, if you learn Torah for the sake of learning Torah, so you say the bracha right away, because that's the mitzvah. But if you learn Torah for the sake of doing, you don't say the bracha until the deed is done. So therefore, you don't say the bracha before. You say the bracha afterwards. Or you don't say the bracha at all because just the learning itself doesn't bring you to complete mitzvah. It has to be accompanied with the action of the mitzvah itself. So he says that the reason why they didn't, the reason why they didn't say a bracha on the Torah is because they didn't, they learned it only for the purpose of bringing it to action and not for the purpose of the Torah for its own sake. And that's why they didn't say the bracha. That's the only reason why they learned it. And that's why it was of the Haaretz. That's why the land was lost. But, so they, but that means that they meant well. They meant to learn to do. To learn to do. So why? No, they weren't learning in the highest level. They were only learning to do. They weren't learning to... Uh, <coughs> they, weren't, they were only learning. They were only learning for the purpose of of doing and not because for the sake of the Torah that's what he also wants to say 
But the doing it is, 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 is as you just said, it's the completion of the learning. Right. So that, that that's not in itself. That's not a bad thing. <coughs> It's not a bad thing, but that, but they didn't. They only learned the Torah for that sake, only for the sake of doing, not for the sake of learning. That's what they got punished. So that, that's what Rabbi Sosalanta says. So therefore, even though the Nasa and the Nishma have to come together, the Nasa and the Nishma have to come together is that the Nishma has to be in such a way that it should bring you to the Nasa. But there's a higher level of learning that even though it brings you to the Nasa, there doesn't have to be any Nasa at all. It could be only because Hashem said. I just don't want to make a mistake that based upon our distinction, uh, based upon our, 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 our discussion this evening, that we're going to come away with the mistake that learning has to bring you to an action specifically. That's what it's about. It's not the highest level. Rabbi Sosalanta says that's not the case. Okay, fine. So I, I, um, I picked up the, uh, the Beni Shai commentary on the Gemara and Shabbos, the Ben Yoyada, on, on the same page, and there he says something very, very interesting. Um, he asks the following question. If you'll know, he asks Tosa's question. Tosa asks, why did you need, if you needed 600,000 angels to place the crowns on the Jews, that means there was one angel for two crowns, because each one got a Nasa and a Nishma crown. And there are 600,000 people, generally, the general number is 600,000, so 600,000 angels, each one gave two crowns. So in order to place the crowns, you needed to place two, one angel, two. But to take away the crowns, you needed 1.2 million angels, which is double. Correct? So why did you need, asked Tosvos, why do you need one angel per crown, when you take off the crown? Because... Each person got two crowns, so it's 1.2 million crowns, so why do you need one angel per crown? So Toso says, Toso's answer is, he says, that neither uh, Tova, the attribute of good, is better than the attribute of bad. So when it's good, you give two crowns, the Nasa and the Nishma. So all you need is one angel, because the attribute is good. One angel packs a double punch. But when it's bad... <laughs> to take away, you need two angels for each crown. Because only each angel is only capable of taking away one crown each. That's what Tosa says. So the Ben this is a different explanation. His explanation is like this. He says, it's known. I think we learned this in Parshish by Yera. Oh, by the way, as I couldn't find the Pasuk. Here it says, Dvarim Hey. I didn't look it up before. So I don't know the exact pronunciation of the Pasuk. Okay? So the, um, at least I don't recall this very second. One angel can't do two jobs. Right? You do, what do we learn there? Parshas Vayera. The one angel can't do two jobs. That's what Rashi says. So, um, the Vayera is like this. It's very interesting. He says, as we said before, that the two crowns, the Nas and the Nishma, come as a pair. And if they come as a pair, they're considered as one. So therefore, when you're sending the angels to place the two crowns on the Jewish people, so how many angels you need? One job, one angel. How many jobs to place this crown? One angel, because the two crowns, Nas and Ishmael, come together as a couple. They come together. So therefore, it's one job. Here. Says the Ben Yoyoda, however, once the Jewish people sin with the golden calf, there's a pigam, there's a blemish in the Nasa crown. Once there is a pagan, there is a blemish in the Nasa crown, the Nishma and the Nasa crown separate from each other. 
once they separate from each other, they're no longer one. Therefore, it's not enough to send one angel. Because now, to take off both clouds, it's two jobs. So therefore, you need two angels to take off the Nasa cloud and the Nishma cloud. Here. That's what he says. What? I didn't know there were so many angels. There are millions. There are millions. Swarms of them. One by, so therefore, yeah, you need to cry. That's why you have the double, double of the angels. That's what he says. See here, from this ben yada, we also hear the earring case. Again, we hear the earring case of the ben yada, because now the two earrings, when they're one, so it's a thousand dollars. When they're separate, each one is three hundred, because they're no longer a pair; they're separate. They're separate crowns. They're separate crowns now. So in order, it's two separate entities. They're no longer together. Therefore. <coughs> Therefore, you have to treat, treat him as such. He caused the damage to one, he caused the damage to the other. It's the same, it's a, it's the same idea that comes out of the Ben Yoda. And we have a, a privilege to see this Ben Yoda's commentary because we know what he says in the Ben Ishchai. Because he's quoting the Ver of now. We know that in his Joshe, he's quoting the, the Kola Leon and the Dirigonim. And as far as the Halachic Shiloh, what happens if a woman loses a, an earring that she borrowed and now does she have to pay the, 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 the value of the, of, of the damaged one as a result? Anyway, that's what I wanted to share with everybody this evening, the, 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 that question. So, as far as the halakh question, I don't know. principle that, that things uh, have innate value in, in sex? Just, I mean, you know, the fa- it's probably not a coincidence to have shekel, you know, that also, that it shows that a thing does not really have value in and of itself. It, it more often has value attached to something else. Yeah, it could be, it could be. That's a lesson. That's a good stickle tar, we could say that. Yeah, that's a good lesson. But here, for sure, as far as the Nasa and the initial crowns, and as far as the diamonds, <laughs> they only have value, a uh, higher value in pair. One plus one, one mi- two minus one does not equal one. It equals a half. All right, a good job. Yeah. Why is that a higher level? Because you're learning, you're, because because the study of the Torah is one of the 613 mitzvahs, right? So you can look at it as what's better to sit in the sukkah or to build the sukkah. So the truth is to build to sit in the sukkah is a mitzvah. Sukkah station shift is young, parsha more. Yours is parsha, right? But uh, to build the sukkah is not a mitzvah at all. But of course the Torah knows that if it's going to tell you to sit in the sukkah, you're going to have to build one. So the presupposition is you have to do what is called the Aksha Mitzvah. You have to build the sukkah too. What's greater to sit in the sukkah? So if you're learning Torah to shake the lulav, correct? What's greater? The shaking of the lulav. Because the only reason why you're learning the Torah is because you need to shake the lulav. If you knew how to shake the lulav, you wouldn't be learning the Torah. It's only a vehicle. It's like building the sukkah. It's not sitting in the sukkah. So therefore, to learn Torah... For itself, its own sake, as a chok, is much more chashuf. Because it's not a means to an end, it's an end in itself. It's a mitzvah to be involved in the Dvar Hashem, in the, in the word of Hashem. In and of itself. As the Labavitcher Rebbe says, or his quarter is saying, the, I think it was the author of the Labavitcher Rebbe, says that when you dive and you talk to Hashem, when you learn Torah, Hashem talks to you. <laughs> what? When you dive and you talk to Hashem, when you learn Torah, Hashem talks to you. <laughs>